Today we start a new sermon series. I'm going to start it today. Next week I'm doing not this sermon series. I'm actually doing a little bit of a state of the church address. Uh, and then after that we'll get back into this sermon series to lead us into Lent, which comes very, very early this year. Um, series is on paradox. It's really inspired by a book called Paradoxes for Living by my friend Graham Standish. Some of you have met Graham. He's the pastor of Calvin Church, Calvin Presbyterian Church in Zalianople. He's written this book that got me thinking about paradoxes in our faith. And so I'm going to be uh, kind of thinking through some of those. What is a paradox? Well, it's a combination of two words. Para meaning beyond and dox meaning belief or something that's taught. So paradox is something that's stated or something that's true, but it's beyond information or beyond what's naturally taught. It's normally two things that are true, but say the opposite things at the same time. And uh, it sounds a little odd, but once you start thinking about it, life is sort of full of these, right? How many of you have heard the phrase, birds of a feather flock together, right? Birds of a feather flock together. But how many of you have also heard the phrase, opposites attract? Right? You've heard both these phrases? They say the opposite thing, right? One says you get together with the people that you like. The other one says you're attracted to the opposite of what you are. And yet, but we all know both of those are kind of true. In fact, if you look at, if you're married and you look at your spouse right now, you probably married your opposite that has the same feathers as you. Right? There's kind of some parts of them that are like you and some parts that are very much not like you. They, they're probably very, both phrases are probably very true in your marriages. Paradoxes are meant to make you think. So Socrates used to say, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. The more you know, the more you realize how little you know. In business, they say to make money, you have to spend money. Kind of backwards logic. How many of you have had a relationship or a memory that was bittersweet? You ever have something that's bittersweet? Bittersweet. It's both bitter and sweet at the same time. The word bittersweet is a paradox. But yet, how many of us can think of relationships and memories that are both bitter and sweet? Life is full of paradoxes. Things that are both true simultaneously, and yet they're sort of the opposite of each other. Christianity is inherently paradoxical. Jesus was fully human and fully divine. How can a transcendent God die? How can a dead man be resurrected? How can Jesus pray to God and be God at the same time? How can you have a trinity where you've got three persons and yet one, yet still three? Colossians calls Jesus the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? God's invisible, but here's how you can see him. It's a paradox. The Bible is full of these. In Luke chapter 2, the angels declare glory to God in highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And yet a little later in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division or some translations will say a sword. Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but the angels sing, hey, Jesus is here. Now we've got peace. Kind of both true. Paul says faith with the, that you're saved by faith without works. But James says without works, 
faith is worthless. The Bible says that to die, we have to, we have to die to live. We have to serve to gain. We have to give to receive. We have to lose life to find it. The first will be last and the last will be first. The weak will be strong. Suffering can be a blessing. Be in the world, but not of it. See, there's all these things in the Bible where they they don't quite logically make sense and yet are true. And by reflecting on them, I think they can say a lot about our faith. And so we're going to be going over some of these paradoxes over the next few weeks. Today's paradox comes from Luke chapter 9. And he said to and he said to all If anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me For whoever would save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it For what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself Let's look at this text a little bit in its context. Jesus is talking about what it will cost to be a disciple. And this is a real important point in the Gospel of Luke because it's sort of the turning point. Up until this point, Jesus has been doing his ministry on earth. But this chapter is the hinge where Jesus starts heading to Jerusalem, starts heading to the cross. In fact, two verse, the two verses right before our text, Jesus is predicting that he's going to have to die and be resurrected. I mean, this is right where Jesus is starting to really lay out his plan and he's starting to move towards Jerusalem and he's starting to prepare his disciples, not just for the fact that he's going to die, but for how hard it's going to be on them. So he says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, to follow means to be a disciple. And remember the context, he's just said, I'm going to die. So if anybody wants to come with me on this journey, and they're not sure they do right now, they're not sure. You mean you're going to die? You want us to come on that journey? You want to come? Deny yourself. And I don't think Jesus is saying here that you deny yourself everything. Like you never eat, and you don't give yourself any pleasure, and you don't take care of yourself. I'm not sure that's the kind of deny that Jesus is talking about. But just deny, submit yourself to to this being more important. Following me is more important than what you want. And we'll unpack that a little bit more as you go. Take up his cross. Remember Jesus taking up his cross? This is a loaded phrase. Because when you were crucified, very often you had to carry your cross from where you were tried to the crucifixion. In fact, normally it wasn't even your whole cross. Normally it was just a cross beam. And what you, what you often had was, a, was a, a beam, the vertical beam on the cross would be some, somewhere right outside of town. And what they would do is they would put the cross beam up for each individual crucifixion. So you, you had your beam that you were going to be, the, the cross beam that you would have to carry out of town. Everybody remembers this from the Easter story? Okay, That Jesus has to march with his cross. That was common practice. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's saying... Grab your cross. Follow me. I'm going this way. Get yours. Let's go. And the cross is a loaded symbol. Symbol of curse. A symbol of pain. We get our word excruciating from the the Greek for cross. Jesus says, take up the pain. Take up the challenges that I give you. Let's go. Are you sure you want to do this? 
I'm not sure the disciples want to do this at this point. They are not really sure what's going to happen. And daily, he says, daily take up your cross. We'll deal with daily in a little bit. And follow me. Whenever you hear this phrase, follow me, you've got to understand it's a loaded phrase. Follow me was the phrase you used if you were a disciple. If you were, if you were a disciple, you would have a rabbi, you'd have a leader that you were following. And, and your goal would be to literally follow them, to be as close to them as you could, and to copy everything that they did. So they had a phrase, a blessing for disciples. They used to say to disciples, they'd say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you follow your rabbi so closely that when they walk down the road, the dust that they kick up, and in Israel there's a lot of dust that gets kicked up. May the dust that the rabbi gets kicked up on their trail be all over you because you followed your rabbi so closely. It was a blessing, blessing of disciples. Jesus says, follow me. And then he gives the paradox. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see the paradox there. If you try to save your life, you're going to end up losing it. But if you lose your life, you're going to end up saving it. Jesus clarifies, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? It's very much a business sort of model. Trade-off, right? You're going to gain the whole world, but you're going to lose yourself. In other words, there's some kind of trade-off going on. And there's a different way to do the trade-off. You might want to, to gain yourself and lose the world. Jesus puts this in a paradox. He puts it opposing one another. But understand the challenge of this verse. What it means is, it, it implies that we try to save ourselves. We try in some way to save ourselves. And Jesus says, all the saving of yourself, you're going to end up losing yourself. It's only in losing yourself you can save yourself. How do we try to save ourselves? Well, most of the time, I don't think we do it consciously. But we do some things, I think, where we try to save ourselves. I want to try to illustrate this. There was a Dutch Catholic priest named Adrian von Kahn. And von Kahn was a teacher at Duquesne died in 2007, and he was a teacher of Graham Standish, so if you're around Graham Standish at all, he quotes Von Kahn all the time. And Von Kahn said that there are three dimensions to every life, that in your life there are three dimensions, there's three parts, three aspects of your life. We're going to illustrate them with buckets. Okay? One part of your life is the vital part. Okay? It's your body. It's your physical existence. It's eating, sleeping, living, physically moving, having a house, dressing. There's a physical aspect to your life. There's also a functional aspect to your life. You might think of this as your work or your psychology, right? There's work you do. There's things you try to accomplish, things you put your mental efforts into. There's a functional aspect of your life. And then there's also a transcendent or spiritual aspect of your life. There's something bigger and more meaningful in your life that's going on all the time. Now certainly there's other areas of your life, right? Like family doesn't have a bucket right now, except family's sort of all three buckets, isn't it? It's kind of a, it's kind of a physical thing. It's kind of work if you're a parent, right, or grandparent. It's work that you do, right? 
But there's also a deeper meaning and spiritual connection behind it. And what von Kram says is that your life is all three of these all the time. That you're constantly putting your energy and your work and your time into these buckets. It's how we live. But what von, what von Kram says is that we tend to overemphasize certain buckets and de-emphasize other buckets. In other words, you're meant to be all three. And all three are meant to work together. But some people get one as more important than the other. They put all their time and energy into one bucket and they might ignore another bucket. Right? How many of you know people who work really, really hard at the expense of their physical health? Right? They like kill themselves to do work but they don't take care of their body. Right? Or, or you get people who care a lot about their body, but don't care about their spiritual life at all. These people are at the gym all the time. I see them there. I can go to the Y any day of the week, and there's going to be a handful of people I have seen every time I've ever been at the gym. They must not work. They can't be working. They must not have time to pray. They are always at the gym. See, we, we, we tend to over-function in certain areas and deny other, other areas, right? Like, I might really care what everybody thinks of me and what I dress and what my appearance is like, but have very little spiritual life at all. I make no investment in this bucket whatsoever. It's not just work in the middle bucket, either. I know plenty of parents that get way out of whack with this, where their kids are everything. Their kids are their identity. Their kids are who they are. And when their kids fail, it, it's like a crisis for them as a parent because their identity is so wrapped up in their children. Look, your kids are important, but they're not everything. Okay? You, you have to have balance between the buckets. I know people that are uber spiritual at the expense of the other buckets. I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to do all these holy, holy things. I'm going to be involved in everything going on in church. But I'm not really going to do any work. And I'm not really going to take care of myself. See, in the Bible, I think we are all these things, and we are meant to be all these things, and we are supposed to balance these things out. But what I think is happening is when we overfunction in one area versus another area, I think we're trying to save ourselves. Now, I don't think people who are workaholics go, you know what, I think I'm trying to save myself with my work. But I think on a subconscious level, we do that. We're actually trying to find meaning and purpose and value in our lives, make our lives important because of something we accomplished. And since it's so hard to accomplish in all three, we normally sell out to one bucket, and we normally ignore a bucket. I think this is a great way to put how we try to save ourselves. But here's the thing. We can't save ourselves. We don't save ourselves doing this. In fact, if you gain everything in the world because you work so hard and you accomplish so much, but you lose yourself, you haven't gained anything. Okay? If you've got this great six-pack, right? Or you wear great clothes, or you've got this amazing house that everybody's jealous of, and you're living in this physical existence, or you're obsessed with your pain, or you're obsessed with your health, but you lose yourself in the process, you gain nothing. Right? I mean, if, if all you are is spirit, this is, this is the dirty secret of the church. Because, because religion can be as much a part of the problem as anything. If I think I'm going to be so good at church, and I'm going to put so much time in, and I'm going to be so holy, and I'm never going to curse, 
I'm going to tow all these lines. And in the end, I'm trying to save myself from this. See, the difficult part is trying to live in all buckets. Because to really live in all three of these buckets, I've got to stop trying to save myself. I've got to stop trying to find my value and my purpose in all of these. And I've got to just acknowledge I have already been saved. I am free to live out of all three buckets. To live a much more complete life. I don't think we ever say I'm trying to save ourselves. But I think Von Kahn's right. I think we a lot of times pour into one of these so we can try to control the value of our life rather than really trusting that Jesus has already saved us. Think about three specific things from our text. Number one, to deny yourself. To deny yourself. See, I I want to control my life. And, And focusing on one bucket over the others is one way I can really control and get what I want. I may not be able to control everything, but I can control work. I may not be able to control everything, but I can try to make myself super spiritual and feel good about myself. I can control my body. But you see, or I can get passion and I can get, I can have fun. But you see, to deny yourself is to say, you know what, I don't have to feel good about where I'm at. I don't have to get all this control to feel awesome about one area of my life. I can be okay. I can deny myself the need to overfunction in one area and instead let God work. Instead, trust God that I'm already saved. In fact, what does the text say? It says that a person is supposed to take up his cross or her cross. In other words, you've got a cross that God has for you to take. And it's really important that you understand it's your cross, not Christ's cross. Christ's cross is already done. The cross that does the saving is over. That's a great thing. You don't have to be crucified. You don't have to kill yourself in one of these areas. Jesus already did the dying. You don't want to be on the Savior cross. You want to be able to suffer daily with Christ. What He calls you to suffer. It's your cross. What is the cross of self-sacrifice that God has called you to bear? What's the difficulty? What's the challenge that Jesus says, all right, I want you to be like me. I want you to be close to me. So you're going to have to bear that burden. Let's go. What is your cross to bear? And how do we do that daily? Daily give up our lives. Daily sacrifice. Daily take up our cross. It would be much easier to sacrifice for Jesus all at once. Okay? You're before the firing squad. You've got your blindfold on. All the guns are pointed at you. And they say, Jordan, will you recant your faith or or are you going to die here for Jesus? And that would be a really difficult decision. But you might be bold enough to say, Jesus died for me. I will die for Jesus. Bang. Get the sacrifice over with all at once. In some ways, that might be easier than the sacrifice that we all try to have to make. Because to daily sacrifice for Christ is not easy at all. That means daily saying, Jesus, this bucket is yours. And this bucket is yours. And this bucket is yours. It means today I've got to say, Jesus, I'm yours. I don't have, I'm not going to save myself. 
I'm not going to overfunction. I'm going to just let you have your will in my life. Your will be done. Your path is more important than my path. Do you know how hard that is to do daily? How did you die for Christ today? How are you going to die for Christ tomorrow? How are you going to lose your life? Because that is the only way to save it. There's no saving it yourself. Why would you put in that effort when you're already saved? That is a very difficult trade-off. And I'm sure that the disciples hearing this for the first time, Jesus has just said that he's going to die. They're just now starting to piece this together. But they probably don't want to. They probably don't want to go that road. But that's the road Jesus calls them to. And that is the road that Jesus calls you and I to. What does it mean to say to Jesus, like we already sang, take my life and let it be? Or as we're going to sing a little bit later, I surrender all. Lord, my body, my physical existence is yours. Which means if you're going to make my body get old and rusty, I'm going to go with it. And if I've got a chance to work hard and get a better body so that I have more energy, and you call me to do that, I'm going to do that. Lord, if you call me to save money by by driving a beat-up car or living in a smaller house or living within my needs because you call me to give us something else, your will, I'm willing to deny myself that pleasure. Lord, if you call me to do work that I don't think is as meaningful because you've got people I want to reach that you want me to talk to, I'm willing to do that. If I've got to take a job where I've got to work longer hours because you call me to do that, then I'm fine. If I've got to take a job where I don't get paid or appreciated as much, but you've got ministry for me to do there, okay, fine. It's your bucket. I'll die there. Or if God says, you know what, you're doing all these spiritual things, but there's one thing you're not dealing with in your life. There's one person you're not forgiving. There's one person you're not giving grace to. There's one person you're refusing to love or forgive. And God asks you to do something difficult in your spiritual life. The way to save yourself is to submit and say, God, I'm not going to hide behind my religion or my spirituality. I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to deny myself my goals in here because it's your bucket. Because I'm yours. And that is not easy. And that is not going to be easy to do on Monday morning. And that is not going to be able to be easy to do on Thursday afternoon. And it might be easier just to get it over with at once, but that's not what God calls most of us to do. So can you go through the paradoxical challenge of losing your life, yielding, giving up to God what you want so that Christ's will can be done in you? It's a real challenge, but it's the only way that real life comes to you. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you give us life. That you give us all kinds of opportunities to serve you, to love you, and to give to you. Help us to yield. Help us to sacrifice. Help us to stop trying to save ourselves and simply rely on your love and your saving. We give ourselves to you. Lord, take from us those areas that we hold back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.